Um, right, we are partway through our series on men and women in the Bible, men and women in Christ, the divine harmony, trying to get a picture of what is God's plan for how men and women are designed by God to not only just be together, but to, to be effective for God together in his kingdom, and how to help each other, I suppose how to help each other thrive. You know, how do we, rather than perhaps the battle of the sexes, which is sometimes you know, portrayed, how do we actually be helpful and useful to each other in the best way we can? That's what we're trying to do as we go through this series. And today we're in Acts chapter 16 and we're looking at Lydia. And I have put up there a deliberately provocative title, <laughs> Lydia the Leader, because it'll make us think, I hope, right? I'm not saying I'm dead right about everything I'm going to share with you. But I'm going to share with you some things, that, you know, and reflecting on this passage and thinking about the church in Philippi, what we might be learning about a woman's role here, we could say, and how that interacts with the men around her. So where are we in Acts chapter 16? Let's set the scene. Uh, we have the fact that, let's start in verse 6 here and see if we can have a look at the background and have what I might tell us. In Acts chapter 16 and in verse 6, it must be the heat. All right, so uh, verse 6 of chapter 16, uh, we got Paul and his companions. They traveled throughout the region from Phrygia to Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. During the night, uh, so they, uh, they passed by and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, quite dramatic, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we set ready, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea, sailed straight for Sabbath race. Next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. We'll stop for a moment, right? We'll, go, we'll carry on in a sec. So where are we? We've got the fact that the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from evangelizing. That sounds a bit strange in itself. We haven't got time to unpack that. But God, Paul wanted to go somewhere to share the gospel where it was certainly needed. And, and somehow the Spirit said, no, that's not on the itinerary. You're not going that way. Instead, he has this dream. I had some dreams last night. One of them involved me being a volunteer at an event uh, with somebody quite famous. And uh, I don't know what was going on or why I was in this dream. Maybe something's meant to happen. I have no idea. Some dreams seem to have no connection with life and some seem to be quite pertinent, right? But he has some kind of vision dream where this man in Macedonia says, uh, uh, the Spirit stopped you going there. It's, it's because you need to come over here. And so Paul changes his itinerary. He changes his flight tickets, his, I don't know, whatever, and off he goes to Macedonia. Where are we? Uh, well, this was his journey. Oops, there we go. So uh, that's his journey. And you'll see the Troas is where he was. He gets on a boat, goes to that uh, island, there to Sabbath race. From there, he goes on to the mainland where he goes to Philippi. Those are the locations of uh, the parts of his journey there. Uh, Philippi was a, an important and major uh, city in that area. And just to give you a flavor of it, there's uh, uh, the theater uh, um, uh, been uh, uh, dug up and, and archaeologists have, have discovered. A big place, an important place, and that's where he now lands. What happens when he lands? 
Well, what happens is he meets Lydia. Okay, so verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira, not sure how you pronounce that, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Then there are some dramatic incidents which we'll come back to, but I just want to skip to the end of the chapter to the second reference to Lydia personally. After all these other events, we see in verse uh, 40, and let's pick it up there, yeah, verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left, and they went on to Thessalonica from there. So that's the references we have to her in Acts chapter 16, the only references in the, in the New Testament. But in between those two parts we've read out there, quite a lot of other things happen in Philippi, which I will summarize rather than read the rest of the chapter for the sake of time and because it's hot. So uh, what happens next is a future telling slave it has some kind of gift about the ability to tell the future uh, stalks Paul and his companions. Basically, she walks along behind them saying, these are telling you this and they're telling you that. And and she's just sort of wandering around, interrupting, and you can imagine Paul preaching, and then this person from the back saying, they are these people, they are about to do that, and this is going on all the time. It's quite difficult to evangelize and preach when that's going on. So Paul, eventually, it says he gets annoyed, and I love that. He's human. It actually says he gets annoyed, and he, he, he casts the spirit out of the woman. I've had enough of this. You're interfering long enough. Out goes the, the spirit, and she can't do it anymore. And then, but she's a slave and she has owners and the owners have been making money out of her ability to tell the future. Now she can't do it. They're out of pocket. So they get really upset. So they get Paul and Silas, his co-worker, beaten and imprisoned. And they, at midnight, you may know the story. What are they doing at midnight? They are singing hymns and worshipping God. So they're singing along, you know, in my father's house. <laughs> oh, I don't know what they're singing, but they're singing along and they're praying. And then there's an earthquake, like massive earthquake. And their chains fall off, and they're like free, and they could run out of the jail if they wanted to. Singing, I'm out of my farm. I'm going to a different father's house, and they're off. And they're, they're about to, they don't, but they don't run out. They stick around, and the jailer comes to see them, and he's like, "Whoa, what's going on?" It, because he thinks his life's in, in under threat because if the prisoners escape, his life will be forfeit, and uh, <clears throat> he's terrified. And Paul says, "Don't worry, uh, you know, God, God's got, God's in all this." And the jailer says, "What must I do to be saved?" What have I got to do to be right with God? And then they teach him. And that's about like two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. They seem to do an all night teaching session. And at some point, he and his whole family are baptized. Uh, who knows when? Six in the morning? I don't know. But before, before daybreak. So whatever time of year it was, before daybreak. They're baptized. Then the magistrates of the town, of the city, find out that Paul was not some ordinary bloke. He was a Roman citizen. They now know they're in trouble because you can't beat a Roman citizen without proper trial and process, and they just allowed that to happen, and they would be in trouble. They're likely to get beaten or imprisoned themselves because they allowed this to happen to a Roman citizen. So then they go to Paul and say, oops, we made a mistake. Really sorry. Uh, would you mind leaving town nice and quietly? And so they go to see him, 
and eventually, after they made an apology, uh, Paul and Silas go back to Lydia's house, which you've already seen. They encourage everybody, and then they leave. So this is what's been going on in between all of that. I would love to preach on all that. There's so much there. But we're going to focus today just more on Lydia and what we learn about her. Okay, We'll come back to the other things uh, another time. So a bit more about her. Uh, her name, Lydia, is actually a region. And it could be that she was called Lydia because she came from that region. That's circled on the map there. It's a region. And she comes from that town, Thyatira, which is marked on the map there. So that's where she's from. And being a dealer in purple cloth, uh, that's the snail. Okay, so do you, how many of you know what's going on here with the purple cloth? Have you ever, okay, so purple was a very rare color in those days. And the only way to get purple was from this snail, the sea snail. And you had to get the snail. And if you watch online, look it up if you've got a strong stomach. There's some really good videos about how they did this, and it is totally disgusting. <laughs> you have to dig out a gland out of this snail. And to get the snail, which is smelly already, right? It's a snail, and it's from the sea, so it's a sea snail. Double, double problem there. It's smelly and horrible and slimy and disgusting. And then you have to get it out, and you have to pull it out, and you pull out this little tiny, tiny gland, and out of that gland, you, you, pull, you, pull, you extract the, the dye and stuff, and then you put it in vats, and you get lots of it, and you put in um, uh, urine, basically. You get urine and put that in. So now you've got fish, snail, urine smells, and everything going on at once, right? And you let it ferment for like eight days. I mean, it's, it's foul, right? Um, and then you put in the, the cloth, you're going to die, and all that. But uh, Anyway, the whole process is on YouTube if you want to look into it. But here's the thing why it's significant in many ways. is because... You needed 10,000 snails to produce 1.4 grams of dye. That's a lot of snails. That's a lot of digging snails out and glands out. And I mean, you know. And 1.4 grams was about enough for one piece of clothing to be trimmed by purple dye. Not the whole garment, just a trim. You can see why it was so expensive. Why it was incredibly expensive. Price of silver, basically, or more. So to be a dealer in this, it makes you think, you know, what was her uh, status and all that kind of thing. Um, and, and purple clothing was also restricted in who could wear it. You couldn't just wear it because you wanted to. Uh, and even where you could wear it. It's a royal color, primarily. You had to be fabulously, fabulously wealthy to be able to, uh, to have purple in those days. It's also the only way to do it color fast, so it would wash and still come through and stay, and stay purple. Okay, so... Uh, and one other thing, while well, we're talking about Lydia here, and I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, that is the river she was baptized in. Oops, come back. There she is. There it is. Uh, there's only one major river in Philippi. That's it. So that might not be the spot she was baptized in, but we know she was baptized in that river. Looks rather like an English river. Uh, it could be anywhere around here, right? In Hertfordshire or something. Okay, so my question is now, what do... We know about Lydia. All right, tell me what your impressions are of Lydia from what we've read here. The beginning of chapter 16, or that part in chapter 16, and the very end of chapter 16, verse 40. What do you think we can see here about Lydia? What's interesting or what do you know? Yes? There must have been an encounter beforehand that she already tells Paul that she already believed in God. There must be a fear backstory before that. Okay, maybe some backstory. Okay. She's a worshiper of God. All right, which almost certainly means she was not Jewish, but someone attended, well, would have attended a synagogue if there had been one. It's probably the case. Her customers must have been very wealthy because she was a leader of God as well. 
Okay, her customers were very wealthy. She was in that circle. All right. What else do you think? Use your imagination a bit. She owned a house. She had a house. She had a household. She had a house. Can't have a household if you don't have a house. Okay. All right. She was obviously active in her faith because mm -hmm. they went to find the place of prayer, yep. sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. So right. it seems that they were already gathered there. Yes. And then they wanted to listen. They stayed to listen. So I feel like she was active in her faith. She was active. Yes, indeed. I'm trying to put the verses back on screen. There it is. Okay. She was active in her faith, going to the place of prayer. She was very influential. Influential? She was a whole household. A leader in that sense. If the rest of her household also uh, join her, then um, uh, should they are also all baptized. Presumably, they trust her to make that kind of decision. They're interested to follow her lead. Hmm. What else? Hospitable. Hospitable people in her home. Okay. You'd imagine, right? She's got a business. And she's probably used to being persuasive, probably quite gifted at that. Yeah. What else? They don't seem to be her husband, though. She was married. Yeah. Just Almost certainly she was either unmarried or a widow. Almost certainly. Otherwise, we'd, we'd hear about the bloke, we think, in that culture. All right. What else? Persuasive. Persuasive? Yeah, yeah. Humble. Humble. Um, okay. I love that. Okay, so if you consider me a believer, not like, oh, right now I'm a believer. I, you know, come to my house. I, I will tell you what to do. No, okay. If 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 you think it's the right thing, so it's humility there. <coughs> Significant. I mean, can you imagine how many dealers of purple cloth were there? You know, you could, you could probably count them on the fingers of one hand in any particular so province. She'd have a wealthy clientele. Then, then she must have been very respectable because they're not going to go to anybody. They're not going to go to anybody. She's got to be respectable. Yes. Okay. Bill. Quite who the members of her household were. Ah, well, we don't know. We don't know, but we can guess. What would you suggest? Sorry. If she's got a household. Sorry. Servants were slaves, I would say, in that culture. Yeah. Yeah. I would say she had a very good eye for detail and a lot of skill at her job. Eye for detail, skill at her job. She must have been good at it. You don't you don't allow someone to handle that kind of precious material unless they're skilled and good at what they do. If you mess it up, you'd be so wasteful. She was a risk taker. Risk taker. They were arrested, yeah. She invited them to her home. And being a big Everybody would have known that these troublemakers had been to her house. She's taking a huge risk to her business yeah. and livelihood. That's a really good point. Okay, it looks like her house, her household is the place where church meets. Right, yeah. She responded to the message. She did. Oh, so I was going to say, but I was just thinking she. Paul said they met. He said they met with women by the river. There was a woman at the river. Just wonder if she was a little woman or if they were just happy to be 
there. And you know, she 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 was one of us. She was even though she's a busy businesswoman, she was still listening. She's still listening. She's busy. She's got important things to do. But she takes time out to worship, and she listens to somebody who wants to see, is willing to teach her. There's an awful lot here, isn't it? When you start digging below the surface, um, let me give you my summary. It's not complete by any means. Firstly, she was a woman. Uh, <clears throat> no one said that. Uh, so uh, you're all very slow. You're all very slow today. I'm sorry. None of you noticed that. Um, I reckon she was a widow or unmarried. Uh, she was a God-fearer, right? She was a worshiper of God. That's the sort of code for a person attached to the Jewish faith of that being Jewish. Uh, she's self-motivated. She's a businesswoman. She's wealthy, almost certainly. Uh, she's well-connected in, in an area. She certainly looks like a leader and a house owner. She's got some kind of family. She's got a household of some kind. She appears to be a curious person. She wants to learn and be taught. She is humble. She's brave, as somebody mentioned. She's hospitable, and she's spiritually minded. And we could add a lot of things to that. Mm-hmm. Um, not common to move away from your home and your family and, and the security and the of, of that would provide so for her to move like that uh, indicates again some kind of bravery some kind of entrepreneurial spirit some kind of you know just adventure in life yeah uh, and travel in those days was extremely challenging and dangerous. So, that is indeed possible. Uh, who knows all of those details? But there's a lot in here. So let me let me move on and pull out a couple of points for us. Thank you, Desmond. Why is Lydia named? I mean, why is she named? As in, she's not the only person in this church. There are brothers and sisters. So why? Why is she named? She's the only person named in this whole passage in Acts 16, apart from Paul and his companions, but the people in the church in Philippi, even the jailer is just a jailer. But Lydia is named. Why do you think that is? They went to her house. Stayed at her house. Yeah. Influential. Influential in the church. She probably has legal names some further impact the church. Right. That's a very good point because you've got to think about this was written and it was written to encourage, partly at least, the, uh, the churches of the time. And it's almost certainly then if you put someone like Lydia's name in, it's because when this is a book of Acts is read in Thessalonica or in Corinth or in Jerusalem or somewhere, and the story of how Lydia became a Christian is read out. People would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Lydia. That's right. Famous Lydia. We know about Lydia, right? It, it connects for people. So she would have been known elsewhere uh, through the, the stories of what had happened. Uh, what had happened there. That next slide, please, Desmond. In Philippians, right, the book, that's the letter that's written to the church in Philippi later by Paul, we find Paul writing this. I plead with you, Odia and Syntyche, uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. That's two members of the church in Philippi. I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in uh, the book of life. So what we've got is we have Lydia mentioned in Acts. We have three other people mentioned in the letter to the Philippians, actually, along with Epaphroditus, who's mentioned elsewhere. Um, those are the people whose names we know that are connected with the church in Philippi. There are five names, and three of them are women's names. I find that rather interesting. 
and the fact that they are people who contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They sound like leaders, don't they? Not just sort of people that were hanging around in the background. You know, teaching a woman was not a common thing. Teaching a woman the Bible by a man, by someone like a rabbi type person like Paul was not uh, normally thought of as being the right thing. In fact, it would be mostly considered to be a very bad thing. That next slide, uh, one rabbi said this, rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her lasciviousness. Not a good thing. I mean, th that's the attitude, yet Paul demonstrates something very different in the way that he deals with the situation uh, with Lydia right there. So what do we know about the church in Philippi? It has a female foundation, and to some degree at least, it has female leadership, would be my contention. Exactly what that looked like, we only have a little bit of information, so we can't want to speculate too much. But that's how I read this situation in Acts 16, and also looking back as you look at, at the book of Philippians. Female foundation and female leadership of some kind or another. Do you notice? The Apostle Paul is not disappointed that he doesn't find a man to teach. He's not disappointed. He's not like, oh well, there's no one else. I suppose I'll better teach this woman. You don't get that sense out of it, especially since the Philippian church is founded and clearly thrives, or else there wouldn't be a letter to write to a church to write to when Paul writes later. Church is fine with female foundation and female leadership, at least of some kind. Uh, Paul didn't say to Lydia, uh, nice to meet you. Please introduce me to your husband and we'll have a chat about the scriptures. Doesn't do that. He doesn't restrict her, saying, well, we can go to your house for the first meeting, but then we need to go and find a household led by a man because you can't be hosting us. You know, it's not the right thing to do. He doesn't do that. He doesn't restrict her. The book of Philippians indicates a th thriving congregation exists and was not harmed by the female foundation and female leadership. Next slide. But you also bear in mind this. It's from the book Tell Her Story, which is a really interesting book. Sorry, it's a bit small in the text, but I'll read it for us. When Christians met in the home of a female householder, where they would gather in the atrium, the semi-public area where business was regularly carried on, the householder would naturally serve as the leader of the house church. That is, by the very sociology of things, it would never have occurred to them that a person from outside the household would come in and lead what was understood as simply an extension of the household. To put it plainly, the church is, is not likely to gather in a person's house unless the householder also functioned as its natural leader. Thus, Lydia would have held the same role in her church, in the church, in her house, as she did as master of the household. This is looking at passages like this through the lens of the culture of the time. Even though the culture was male-dominated and patriarchal ways of doing things were the norm, nonetheless there were some other things like the way a household worked that would have gone against that general trend in society. There's another slide with a similar thing from the same book. From uh, women disciples like Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who traveled with Jesus and learned from him, to ministry couples like Priscilla and Aquila, which Danny talked about last week, in which the wife took the foremost role, to Lydia of Philippi, who led a house church, uh, diaconi, uh, like Phoebe of uh, Tria, co-workers like Euodia and Syntyche, and even apostles like Junia, imprisoned for her ministry work, women in the early church led with the approval and support of men around them. That's how it looks. And there's nuances to this. And there's other things to bring into the picture, which we're, that's why we're doing a whole series. But there is, uh, this does ring true to the passages 
that we are looking at. So the question then is, what's, what's the lesson for us? Some of the lessons I would suggest are these. Firstly, God defies human expectations. All the way through the book of Acts, God is doing things that other people would not expect him to do with people he would not expect to evolve in a way that just doesn't make any sense to many other people around. In this situation in Acts 16, uh, firstly, it is, um, it's, it's a woman, not a man, not what you'd expect. Uh, there's no synagogue for Paul to go to, so he goes down to the river and finds these women and starts having a Bible study with them. God uses an earthquake to get some people converted. Uh, we see the, the conversion of the jailer in Acts 16 is very rapid. It's a one Bible study conversion, it looks like. They start doing their Bible study at probably one in the morning or something. It seems to finish, it finishes before daylight, a daybreak. So uh, they have one long Bible study and then the whole household is baptized. That's not what you, we see normally today, but God does things a bit differently, doesn't he? That's so much the way that God works. And what I would suggest is a good question for us to reflect on is whether any of us feel like we don't fit the mold, therefore we don't fit here. We don't fit in God's kingdom. We don't have a role. Everybody has a role. You may think you don't, but the very fact you think you don't have a role might actually make you more qualified to have one. Because that's kind of the way God works, through the unexpected, through the unconventional, through what the world may think is a bit strange. And the second thing we see here in Acts 16 is it is God who brings people to the baptistry. You know, we have our plans. We'd like to see our friends baptized into Christ. Uh, we pray for our friends, our family, and all kinds of people. And we do our best to reach out and live a good example and all that. But in the end, it's up to God. Paul somehow connected uh, Lydia and, and Paul. He then connected Paul with the jailer and his family by sticking him in prison, by allowing him to get beaten with rods. I mean, that's not the way I want to bring someone to the baptistry. I, I mean, I'm happy to invite someone. I'm happy to talk to someone. But if it means getting beaten up and thrown in prison, I'm not so sure I'm ready for that. God, there must be another way. That's how God did it. God has his way of bringing people to the right place at the right time to meet the right people who can teach them the right stuff in the Bible so they can get right with God. That's how God uh, does it. It's funny, I think it's rather ironic, that Paul has this vision. Remember he had that vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And he goes over to mainland Europe now because he's been in Asia Minor. This is actually the first conversion in mainland Europe, actually, is Lydia. So he goes over there, but it was a man in his dream. But when he gets there, it's a woman he finds. I wonder what happened to the bloke. I mean, maybe he was not a real bloke. Maybe it was like a dream thing. You know what I mean? But I don't know. But it's not what he expected. I'm sure Paul was thinking, where's this man? He's around here somewhere. I got a, had a vision. But it's Lydia. It's the jailer. Maybe it was the jailer. I don't know. But uh, who knows? And it's not one household. It's two baptized into Christ. Next slide. Here's a thought for us, right? We used to have a piano over there. Do you remember? All right. It was a lovely piece of furniture. But it's gone now, all right? And it, it needed to go, and that's fine, and, and, and all that. And then there used to be this sort of pulpit huge thing up here, remember? All right, and that's now gone. And we don't, it's not necessary for what God, I think, wants to achieve here. That piano is not necessary for God's work to be done here. And the pulpit is not necessary for God's work to be done here. But there is something that's still here. And you'll notice that the piano isn't here and the pulpit isn't here because they're very visible. But there's still something else that's here, right? Underneath that carpet. Yeah. Underneath this carpet, right? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? So under here, if we were to pull this up, what's underneath? 
There's a baptistry under there. I think that's a lot more essential to the work that God wants to do, isn't it? Yeah. Than the piano or the pulpit, or almost anything in this room, apart from the people, I suppose. Chantilly, weren't you baptized in there? Yeah. Okay. I, I wonder whether, thinking about that, I've just been thinking about this passage and looking at this. I wonder whether God wants us to use this a bit more. It's up to him who he brings and when he brings them and how you know they open their hearts. But I wonder if we could pray about that. Could God, could God open up people's hearts like he opened up Lydia's heart so that we could see this in use? It's not something we can demand. It's not something we can manufacture, but we can pray about it. And I would say this, you know, if you know someone whose heart you think may be open to the gospel, then why not bring it to them? Take the Bible to them and, and see if they'll respond. And maybe if there's any of us even here this morning where your heart has been opening, then maybe it's time for you to think about making use of this baptistry. Lydia had a river. I guess the Philippian, Philippian jailer, we don't know what he got baptized in, whether maybe they went down to the river at, at like four in the morning, or maybe he had a big tub or something. We don't really know. But God is the one that brings people to that baptistry. And it's our part to pray about that and to recognize when it happens what God is doing. Last slide. I'm going to read this scripture and then we're going to take bread and wine together because I think this kind of wraps all these things up quite nicely. From Romans chapter 6. Paul is writing to the Romans, reminding them of why they got into a baptistry. Maybe not quite like this, but at least they were baptized. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in his death like this, what's the like this? It's the baptism into Christ. If we've been united with him like that, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will be confident of that. But we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's the life he offers us. It's the life he gave Lydia and her household. It's the life he gave the jailer and his household. It's the life he's given many of us and it's the life he offers all of us. As we take bread and wine, we're remembering that it's his death and burial and then his resurrection that gives us any confidence we have. And we can have supreme confidence because we follow a risen Lord.